I want to share something with you that I shared with Pastor Jason and Pastor Andrea uh, just the other day. We were driving and having a conversation, and I told them something that maybe some of you have realized in your own life as well. I said, I'm not nearly as good a parent as I thought that I would be. I don't know if anyone else has had that same revelation in your life. You know, before I was a parent, I looked around at the rest of you that were parents, I thought, man, I could do it a lot better than that. And now I can just imagine all the parents to be or yet to come that uh, look at me and say the similar thing. There is a text in the Bible, the text that Hannah read so well, thank you so much, Hannah, for that, that has at times added to parents' feelings of maybe inadequacy. It's a text that's even scared some parents at times. It at times has given, has given them hope, but, but I've had more than one parent that has referenced this text when, this text when, when, when speaking of the, the struggle they're having with the journey their kids are on. The text, of course, is in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, as Hannah read, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This text has led in some people's lives to feelings of guilt and, and regrets as they see their, their children, some young and some older, wandering further and further away from God. May I suggest that if we understood this text in context, maybe it could reduce some of those feelings of guilt or, 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 or responsibility towards some of the decisions that our children have made. And also, if we applied particularly the first line of this text properly and thought about who this Proverbs was intended for, we might have more success in seeing the final result of this proverb become reality. First, let me address the context of this scripture. So maybe we can alleviate some of the guilt that some parents at times feel. This text has, has for far too long and in, in far too many instances been, been used and been spoken of almost as a promise that's guaranteed as applied to parents. We say it almost as, hey, I promise you, if you train up your child in the way that they'll go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And a parent looks at their children, at their child or their children wandering far from God, and they, they either doubt God's promises, God said he promised, but, or they say, I'm a failure as a parent. I've had parents say to me, you know, my kid, my, my grown child, my, my teenager is just wandering from God, and I, I tried to raise them right, I tried to train them right, and, and God says, train up a child in the way they're going, I thought I did, but, but, but now they're far from God, and what, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? This text, though, to be understood, we have to understand the, the, the type of scripture that it is, the type of literature it is. The Bible is made up of many different kinds of literature, and this, this text is from the book of Proverbs, which is the wisdom literature. It is a proverb, and, and Proverbs are not necessarily promises. Proverbs are not necessarily promises. Proverbs are aphorisms. They are things that, that if we follow them on a general basis are true, on a, on a, on a likely basis are true, but, but not necessarily. Let me give you a, a quick example. There is a proverb that speaks of that it's better to be uh, in a house with a poisonous snake than with a cantankerous woman. Men, this is not a promise. Don't go out and live with a poisonous snake and get rid of your wife. It will not go well for you. 
Another one is Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 tells us that a gentle word turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. But how many of us know that this is not always true? We've given a gentle answer, a soft answer, and yet there's still some wrath that has come towards us. We understand this for the most part, that Proverbs are not necessarily always true. The general practice is that they are true, but it's not always necessarily so. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go or she should go, and even when they are old, they will not depart from it. This is a proverb, not necessarily a promise. But that said, I believe that if we as parents and as a church applied the biblical model of training, if we, if we understood who this text was intended for and the directional uh, relationship that this text was intended for, this proverb would truly become a truism. It would truly become a, an aphorism, something that is more likely than not to happen. And so I want to spend the rest of my sermon exploring what I mean by this. The phrase, train up a child, was not directed at the church. When Solomon wrote this, he was not thinking the church needs to train up a child in the way that they should go. When, 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 when Solomon wrote this, he was not thinking the school needs to train up a child in the way that they should go. He was not thinking the pastor or the, or the pathfinder instructor or the Sabbath school teacher needs to train up a child in the way that they should go. When Solomon wrote this, he was, he was speaking and instructing parents. He was saying to parents, train up a child in the way that they should go. But far too many of us parents have abdicated our role of spiritually training our children to one of the previous mentioned groups. We see the school needs to do a better job and, and the church needs to do a better job and, and, and that pastor needs to do a better job. But, but this text is not for those groups. It's for parents and for families. The biblical model for training young people, children and young people, is the responsibility of the parents. In the book of Genesis, chapter 18 and verse 19, God said of Abraham, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, chapter 24 and verse 15, when calling God's people to follow the Lord with all their hearts, he, he made this corporate appeal, appealing to them to follow the Lord with all their hearts, but he clearly delineated where the ultimate responsibility of that decision lay. He did this by, by indicating where his decision was made. It was within the context of his own home. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your forefathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, I'm the spiritual leader and I'm, I'm appealing to you to make a choice, to make a decision that in your home you will choose to follow the Lord. But I can't make that decision for you, Joshua said. I can choose for my house, but ultimately this guidance, this structure, this, this direction is a choice for you and your home. 
Asaph, in the 78th Psalm, verses 5 through 7, writes this, The Lord established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and, arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The model here in Psalm 78 is that parents will teach their children the ways of God and the things of God and the instruction of God, and that those children will then teach their children, and so on and so forth. Nowhere in God's ideal design is the teaching of God's way from one generation to the next to be the primary responsibility of the pastor or the school teacher or the Sabbath school teacher or the pathfinder director. Paul, in the second epistle to, to Timothy, the second epistle to Timothy, gives credit of Timothy's faith to his grandmother and his mother. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and now dwells in your mother, uh, Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. How is Paul sure that this same faith resides in Timothy? Because his understanding, as he looked at, 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 at Lois and he looked at Eunice, his, his assumption, I believe, I speculate that his assumption is that Lois has taught it to Eunice and Eunice has now taught it to Timothy as well. That's the direction of faith from the parent to the next generation and from that parent to the next generation. Paul doesn't give credit to anyone else. He doesn't say, I'm glad you had a great church to go to, and that taught you faith. I'm glad you had a great school to go to. No, he affirms the foundation of faith in the family, within the context of the family. The biblical model of training up a child in the faith, in the way that he or she should go, is the responsibility of the family, the parents. And of course, the most famous text to describe this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And God says to the children of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then he says, And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them on, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Moses wrote this. This was Deuteronomy. It was written after there was already a, a, a tabernacle, after there was already a priesthood. This was already in place, and, 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 and when God's commands come down, Moses doesn't say, okay, God's commands have come down. Now, I want you to send your children to, this, to the priest to make sure that the priest teaches them the laws of God and the teachings of God and the instructions of God and the direction of God. No, he says, all these commands have come to you, and in your home, instruct your children in these ways. Parents, far too many of us have allowed the spiritual responsibility, our priority, our calling, our command, our, our blessing to train our children in the ways of the Savior to be done by the church or the pastor or the school or the teacher. 
And it is time that we as parents and, and grandparents and we as a church take back that responsibility, give back that responsibility if we're the church and take it back if we're the parents. Could it be, could it be that some of our, our kids have, have walked away from what we believe, not because they weren't trained and not because there weren't good people involved, but because the individual that was given responsibility wasn't the one God designed to occupy that position. Now let me say this. I do not believe one single parent probably in here when they were making their decisions about their, their children's spiritual growth and, 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 and having someone else lead and guide them was intentionally surrendering this God-given responsibility. Most of us are simply following, myself included and my family included, simply following a model that has been based on generation after generation after generation. The way of training the children in the church was a decision made a long time ago, a decision that was, was made somewhere down the line and was authorized by the church. It is, it is a decision that shows that, that we have a little bit of Catholic understanding about the priesthood in our own midst and in our own hearts as well. We have followed the model that, that since the pastor is trained, therefore he or she is the authority. Thus he or she should be the one training my child in doctrine and in faith and in the ways of the Lord. We, we've, many of us have followed this, this idea that, that well, the pastor is, is, is the authority on this and therefore I must pass my children along to them to guide and direct them. This tradition, because that is what it is, it is not the biblical model, has been passed down to one generation and to the next and to the next under the support of the church, under the support of us as pastors. But it's time for us to call time out and return to the spiritual authority, return the spiritual authority of training children back to where it rightfully belongs in the hearts and in the lives and in the homes of the family. It is the parent who is to be pastor and teacher for their children. I watched some of the Billy Graham funeral service, and listening to the parents describe, I mean, listening to the children of Billy Graham describe him, they describe someone that was not just the pastor of the nation, and maybe even of the world, but someone that was their pastor as well. One daughter told the story of, 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 of doing something that was, that she was just ashamed of. And she said, no, parent, no child wants to embarrass their parent. She said, and you deal, really don't want to embarrass Pastor Billy Graham. And she said, I drove home that night, the windy road, and she said, and I was so scared. What was going to happen? And I got to the top of the hill, and there was my dad. He stepped outside, outside on the front porch, and she wondered, what is going to happen? And she said, as I walked up to him, he embraced me and he said, I'm glad you're home. He said, he exhibited such grace. He was, he was a pastor, not just to the nation, but he was the pastor to his daughters, to his sons as well. Listen to this quote from Ellen White from the book, Adventist Home, page 184. From the light that God has given me, I know, she says, that the husband and the wife are to be in the home, minister, physician, nurse, and teacher binding their children to themselves and to God. The husband and the wife are to be the, the minister, the nurse, the physician, and the teacher. 
binding their children's hearts to themselves and to God within the home. Most of us in the church in North America have left much of the binding of our children to God and to his truth to the church and to the school. The current modus operandi that we, that we operate with looks something like this. A child is growing in their relationship with God. They're, they're, they're growing in their, in their connection to God under the, the guidance of the parents and, of course, with the assist of, of others, but, but primarily under the guidance of the parents. And a child comes to a place where they say, you know what, I want to be baptized. I want to make a decision for Jesus. And, 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 and suddenly, everything shifts. The parents then go to the pastor and they say to the pastor, my child wants to make a decision for Jesus, wants to be baptized. Here, here's my child, you do it. You give them the studies. You teach them what you, they need to know. You make the decision on when they're ready and, and, and able to, to be baptized. Of course, not all parents do this, but many of us do. And the pastor takes them, okay, that's my responsibility. We take them and we teach them and and then we decide at some point, yes, this boy, this girl, this, this young man, this young woman is ready to be baptized and become a part of the church. And you know what is the truth, especially in larger churches? Oftentimes, we as the pastors don't even know the children that well. We know that we've taught them the basics. But the parents who have lived with them every day know where they're at, know where they're at in their relationship with God, know where they're at with their journey. This is the model we've, been, we've laid out there. The expectation of the entire journey is suddenly shifted from the parents and is laid upon the church. And then this model of expectation just begins to perpetuate more and more and more as the ages go on. How many of you have been in meetings where you've heard a question like this? What can the church do to keep our young people? Have you ever heard that question? What can the church do? What can the school do to keep our young people? And because of this question, then, then programs have been created to keep, to keep the youth in the church. And the dependency begins to grow. But the dependency grows even more beyond that because it started with youth, but then somewhere along the way, people said, you know, we, we're not only losing our youth, we're now losing them at the young adult level. And so we need to have programs to keep our young adults, and we need to have the programs to keep our young adults. And so we started having young adult programs, youth programs, and young adult programs to keep our young adults in the church. But young adults became too broad, and so folks started to say, we need a collegiate ministry to keep our college kids in church. But we still need to reach our other young adults, and so we now have ministries for, for collegiate young adults and, and post-collegiate young adults. But then post-collegiate young adults became too broad and people said, you know, there's post-collegiate young adults that are married and there's post-collegiate young adults that, that aren't married. And so we need programs for, for those too. And so now we have youth programs that keep our kids in the church and young adult programs to keep our young adults in the church and, and, and young adult programs for collegiates to keep them in the church and young adult for post-collegiate to keep them in the church and, and post-collegiate married and post-collegiate singles to keep them in the church. And now people have come to me and said, Pastor, you know, we really need a program to keep our young adults with children in the church. Before long, we're going to have a program to say we need to keep our geriatrics that think they're young adults in the church. The system of dependency. 
But God's model, the biblical model, is parents lead their children into faith and truth. The church comes alongside and supports and affirms and trains and teaches the parents. But parents lead their children into faith and truth. Those children then grow up and lead their kids into faith and truth. And those children grow up and then lead their children into faith and truth. And, and before long, parents, we stop saying the church or the school needs to do blank before my kid leaves the church because those kids are in the church because they've been led through their whole life by their parents, by the divine model that God had, and now they're leading their own children into the church. So then with all that, does the church not have any role? No, there's a definite role for the church, for pastors, for our schools, for the leaders within our church. It's also biblical, and it's broad, there's, there's many assets to, aspects to it, but, but a couple, four key points on this. The first role I see that the church having is based on Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. You may remember the story, some mothers were bringing their children to Jesus that he might lay hands on them and, and bless them and, and pray over them. And the disciples saw this, the, the church, the, the elders, the leaders of the church, they, dis, they saw this, and they said, you know what, Jesus is too busy for these children, and he told, they told them to, to get away. And then in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. The first role that I see the church having is to making sure that we are not doing anything that would hinder the children from coming to Jesus. How could we hinder the children? We could hinder the children by not treating them with equal value in the body of the church. We could hinder the children by, by not financially investing in the, in the areas of ministry that, that are able to supplement the work of the parents and help grow the children. We could hinder them by not providing Christian education by not supporting and providing Christian education to all the young people and the parents that want to attend Adventist school. We could hinder them by, by being overly critical of something that we may not like or that we may not fully understand as we get older and older. I never thought there would come a time in my life when I would look at one generation and go, really? You're doing that? And now I'm old or something because I sometimes do that. Like they watch things and I go, I don't even get that. What is that, what is that about? The other day some kid mentioned some name to me like I should know this and I, I had no idea what he was talking about and I never was supposed to be out of touch. Never was. I need to bleach my hair again and maybe I'll get back on it. I don't know. The second role that the church should have is, is to let our young people know that they are valued and loved. The teenage years, the younger years, are a season of angst and, 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 and struggle. And they need to know that they're valued and loved. This should just be a core value that we have in the church all the way around. Every individual of every age should feel valued and loved, and we should do everything we can to make sure everyone feels valued and loved. John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, A new command I give to you, that you have love one to another. 
A great ministry that was recently started by Steph and, uh, Stephanie and Jeff Juno is, is a ministry to our collegiates in which they're sending care packages to our collegiates, not for any agenda, not for, for, for any, any specific uh, reason beyond just wanting our collegiates that are not here at the church to know that we value them, that we care for them, that we love them, that we're thinking about them. The church needs to have ministries like that that are, that are not with an agenda, but simply to say we love you and we value you. The third role the church has is the role of praying for one another. Again, something that should be universally applied, praying for the singles in our midst. We should pray for the families with no kids in our midst. We should pray for the families with kids. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. This is something all of us can do. Someone after first service said, well, I liked your sermon, but it had nothing to do with me. I said, well, can you pray for a kid? They said, yes. I said, well, then there has something to do with you. We can all pray for for someone. We can all pray for our young people, no matter who we are, no matter whether we have kids or not. This Tuesday night would be a great time uh, for that. We have our prayer gathering every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., and this Tuesday night we've designated as a night that we're going to pray specifically for our young people that are going on the mission trip to Puerto Rico. And so we're going to get together to pray for that. And you can come out and join us as a part of that. It says in the choir room in the bulletin, but we've actually moved to the middle school room. Praise God, our prayer meeting recently has grown from four people to now 26 people. So we're praising God for, for that. And of course, we pray that we'll continue to grow there as a community of prayer. But finally, the fourth role that the church can take in regard to children is that of training and equipping. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This should also be the work of our schools, by the way. Our model, as I mentioned now, is that, is that parents are raising their kids, directing their kids, and then somewhere along the way, there seems to be this transition where they're shifting that to the schools or, or to the church. But the model should be that, that a kid comes to their parents and say, Mom, Dad, I want, I want to be baptized or, or I want to know more about this, about Jesus. And the parent says, Awesome, I'm so excited that you want to know this about Jesus. And they then go to the church and they say to the church, My kid has made a decision for Jesus. My kid wants to be baptized. My kid wants to follow Jesus. And we say, Praise God, we're excited for that. And the parent then says, Will you help me to know how to do this for my own kid? Will you give me the resources so that I can teach my kids, so that I can lead my kid in that process? A child should first learn, as the model clearly says, doctrine at home. Then at school, Sabbath school, church, or school, we should be supplementing, that phrase again is directly out of Ellen White, we should be supplementing what the parents have already taught their children and then helping the young people know how to use the knowledge that they've gained from the word of God to serve their world in the name of Jesus. Ellen White wrote this, our church schools are ordained by God to prepare the children for this great work. The work she was speaking of is to go out and to serve the Lord as witnesses and missionaries in our world. She said they are to enlist in the army of the workers. They are to be enlisted in the army of the workers to help the sick and the suffering. Children can take part in the medical missionary work and by their jots and tittles can help to carry it forward. Their investments that they make may be small, but every little helps 
Every little bit helps, and by their efforts, many souls will be won to the truth. She says, by them, God's message can be delivered, and it will be known, uh, God's message will be made known, and his saving health can be passed on to all nations. Then she says, then the church should carry a burden for the lambs of the flock, and the children should be trained to do service for God, for they are the Lord's heritage. The church is there to, to say, good, you've, you've made a decision for Jesus and you're, you're growing in Christ. Now let us come along with your parents and help train you and equip you to serve God in this world. Now let me say this, and it's the fifth role of the church. There are some parents that will abdicate their spiritual role in their children's life completely. They'll just say, you know what, it's not my responsibility, it's not my thing, I'm not going to do it. We as a church don't say to these kids, well, we're sorry that your parents aren't fulfilling their God-divine responsibility. You're out of luck. No, we don't say that as a church. We as a church then have another role, and that's to stand in the gap for these children who do not have parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles in their life that will lead and guide them. We must stand in the gap for those. It is not the way that it should have been but my dad did not fulfill his spiritual role in my life when I was growing up. And he's probably watching this, maybe not now, but at some point later he'll be watching this and he'll be nodding his head in agreement and my mom will be going, oh, chat, oh, chat, oh, chat. He's grown spiritually, he's at a different place, but growing up he did not. And so I praise the God that there were people like the chaplain at my school, Neil Richmond, or like my friend Greg Taylor, that stood in the gap for me. But my way of coming to Jesus was not the biblical model, and it should not be held up as the standard, but as the exception. As the exception. If a parent is a follower of Jesus, they should then say, yes, I want to be that takes the responsibility for this. I want to train my kids. I want to teach my kids. I want to open the Bible with my children and help them to learn and study the word of God and to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Parents, we are the most effective influencers of our kid. And if you don't believe it, just look at the bad habits that you don't like about yourself and see if any of those already exist in your children. I was standing there singing next to my wife and I was moving all around and couldn't stand still. And she goes, then this is why Landon can't sit still anywhere. <laughs> we, our kids are products of us and we are the most effective influencers. So if we are the most effective influencers, let us not surrender to anybody, even the church, even a pastor, even the school, even a teacher. Let us not surrender the most important work that we have of training our children in an understanding of the word of God and in an understanding of who he's called them to be in this world. Let us train up a child in the way that they should go. And we pray that when they are older, as we followed God's model, that this will be true for them, that our children will not depart from that training. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for those of us that maybe did not have parents that fulfilled their role and so others had to stand in the gap for us. May we be willing to stand in the gap for children that need that in their lives. But Lord, for, for the rest of us, for, for those of us that have children, that, that are followers of Jesus, may we with joy 
with humility, with, with gratitude. Take up the mantle to train our children in the ways of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we as a church surrender the dependency that tradition has created. May we truly practice the biblical model of the priesthood of all believers. And may we affirm, support, empower, equip, and encourage our parents to be the priests in their own home. In your name we pray. Amen.